Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz drummer Jay Lawrence. He spoke with us about his latest 2018 CD called Sonic Paragon and his very diverse career as a performer and a recording artist. He's a drummer, ethnic and orchestral percussionist, composer and arranger, a teacher, a band leader, and an author. All of this began at the age of 15 when he was immediately in demand working as a drummer and percussionist for a myriad of celebrity shows in Reno, Lake Tahoe, and Las Vegas. Since then, he's gone on to have a very rich musical life. So please get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. Jay, thank you for taking a minute out to talk with me on jazz. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. I haven't done too many of these, and so I'm uh, kind of excited. Right on. Well, i got to tell you, you've been on the show before. I've always enjoyed your music, so I want to dive right in and ask about your latest project, Sonic Paragon. Talk to me about this album. How do you feel about it? Well, I, I feel good about it. It was a culmination of a dream I kind of acquired about five years ago, and uh, I just started trying to put together the budget and composing and writing and conceiving the, you know, the concept anyway. I was able to get the players I wanted and... Uh, I think it turned out to, to be a lot of great music, and hopefully uh, the rest of uh, the jazz public will agree. I think they will. So let me ask you this. For each successive album that you put out, how do you view it? Do you view it as a snapshot in time, or do you look at it as an evolution as a musician? Maybe both. It's pretty rare for musicians to get rich uh, recording, and so that's that's like 0% of uh, why anybody does a record, I think, uh, or at least uh, the people I know. I think it's because we need to document what we've created. So, you know, it's kind of a snapshot in time as well as, uh, you know, taking a look at uh, where things have gone since the last time you did something and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So re- recording for me is just primarily a way to document my writing, have fun playing with musicians that I respect and love, and, uh, and then learn something in the process. So let me go back to the beginnings of your life. Where were you born and raised? Well, I was born in a little Idaho town called Pocatello, <laughs> Pocatello, Idaho. But I was raised in Reno, which turned out to be a great blessing to me because back in the uh, 60s and 70s, Reno was a music capital. There was a lot of uh, showrooms that uh, hired uh, full-time musicians, uh, Two shows a night, six nights a week, and then a relief band that went around playing everybody's night off. So there was a lot of great players to both play with and study with uh, in Reno back uh, when I got started. I joined the union when I was 15. I got to rub shoulders with musicians that were several decades older than me, and uh, what a great education that was. So what albums early on in your life were you listening to that made a big impact on you? Oh, man. My, you know, journey to jazz probably was facilitated uh, by the brass rock bands, you know, Tower of Power, Chicago, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, those kinds of bands. That was a pretty short leap from that to Count Basie and Maynard Ferguson and Buddy Rich, and then next thing I knew I was checking out Dave Brubeck, and then it was all, you know, <laughs> I was swept away by Clifford Brown and uh, and so many other Artist. So basically, um, 
my listening uh, evolved. Jazz maybe uh, wasn't something that my parents were into, but uh, my grandpa, my granddad, is what he liked to prefer to be called, uh, he was a jazz guitarist. And whenever I'd hear him, he was, uh, oh, he was just caught up in the joy of making the music. He could play thousands of tunes, harmonizing every melody note. He could do them in any key. He was, he was great. And I would just watch in fascination. And then, um, things started to become more understandable as I listened more and more to, uh, you know, actual, actual jazz, <laughs> uh, and jazz recordings. But anyway, so, so to answer your question, uh, I loved Weather Report a lot, but earlier on, uh, Dave Brubeck spoke to me, uh, Clifford Brown spoke to me, Buddy Rich's big band, you know, drummers always are attracted to that kind of stuff when they're young. Uh, you know, I'm leaving out quite a few. There was, uh, progressive rock bands that, uh, like Yes. Did you ever listen to Yes? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. It, I was enamored with them, but at the same time, if I if I could ever hear you know one of Ray Brown's groups, uh, that thrilled me also. You know, Oscar Peterson with Ray Brown and Ed Thigpen. Uh, I love that stuff. So anyway, it's hard to <laughs> single out just a few recordings. Yeah, no, absolutely. I just kind of wanted to get a flavor, but I want to go back to when you were 15. You joined the union, and immediately you went in and started performing with celebrity shows in Reno, Lake Tahoe, and Vegas. Talk to me about some of those shows and who you played with and kind of what you learned along the way at that age. Uh, some of the first shows I played were the Barbara Eden Show, Raquel Welch, uh, Tom Jones, Liza Minnelli, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, first of all, there would always be a rehearsal that afternoon. You'd go in and I had to be, uh, had to learn how to be professional right away, you know, show up on time, be set up and ready to go, make sure you don't forget your tucks. You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, bring a pencil to the rehearsal, learn how to mar mark your parts. Uh, all those things were valuable lessons that uh, my uh, mentors passed on to me. Uh, but just being in that environment, watching the conductors uh, rehearse the band, uh, noticing how efficient the process was, then the band would play the show, you know, the two shows that night. Uh, and sound as if they'd been playing the music all their lives. And uh, so uh, it, it was a thrill to me to be playing with musicians of that caliber at such a young age. And and I was desperate to uh, make sure that I fit in so I would practice like crazy. Everybody else would go out to the casino and I'd stay in the showroom and practice mallet parts or practice rudiments or practice my sight reading and uh, or go over the show to make sure I, I had all the parts down, you know, that kind of thing. Because there were so many great musicians, I would often seek people out for lessons on how to arrange and teach me something about theory and, you know, what does this mean? You know, that, that kind of uh, pursuit of trying to, trying to fill in the, the voids that were in my head, my young head. <laughs> sure. You know, the thing that's interesting these days is in jazz education, a lot of, a lot of the education happens in, in college classrooms and, I'm thinking about your trajectory, which is kind of old school. You know, that had to be one of the best educations to be out around those people doing what you were doing. I think so. Uh, I'm not going to um, dismiss learning in a college uh, classroom <laughs> because hmm. now I'm now I do a little bit of that. But I think that uh, there's no replacement 
for being with the masters that have uh, that have been playing for you know their entire lives and uh, benefiting from their experience and wisdom. So, what did you get from all of those masters and all of those people over the years that you played with that's helped you as a teacher to impart on your students? That's a great question. Some of the musicians I was working with weren't very good at explaining things, so I would keep asking questions. And once I understood it, I, I decided that I would figure out ways to cut right to the chase. You know, <laughs> Not that there's any shortcuts in music ever, but if there's a clear way to get somebody to catch a vision, uh, I wanted to find that. And so, you know, if you're looking for specifics, uh, I'm not sure I have any. You know how knowledge just kind of comes as you get older through through experience and uh, and asking questions and, and that sort of thing. But uh, but one of the things I wanted to do was try to become a teacher that uh, could pass on experience efficiently. Well, let me let me ask you this. I'm going to kind of branch off of the, the the teacher part of you and ask about you as you perform, you record, you have been a part of orchestral percussionist ventures. You're a clinician. There's so many things that you've done over the years. Has this been by design? Or are you a busybody? Is it the way the, the the industry works? How has all of this come into your creative end? I love that question. I think. Uh, in at least my case, my life has always been about pursuing the passion and being able to support a family as I pursued this passion. And so I would, I just kind of had the philosophy of saying yes to everything. And so when people would ask me, you know, will you do this? The answer was yes. I didn't even consider no. And uh, then I'd figure out how to do it. You know, will you come over and clinic my college rhythm section, okay, yeah, I'll, uh, let me see if I can do that, and and I would just say yes to whatever, you, can you write um, strings for my power ballad, uh, okay, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll write a, you know, a string section, or a horn section for a funk band, or, you know, all that kind of thing, and so I would just say yes to everything, and so I don't know if it was by design, but uh, it was certainly uh, something that... Uh, uh, led to many varied experiences, that's, uh, that's for certain. And I played uh, more than just jazz. I'm not sure I'm proud of that, but I've, but I've played a lot of other kinds of music to support a rather large family, actually. So let me ask you this. You've performed with so many big names. I mean, it goes from the Osmonds to the Sinatras, and it, it's all over the place. But I want to ask you this. You've been on stage with these people, but... What shows have you witnessed, probably more specifically because that's what we're at here with the jazz program, what jazz shows have you witnessed that totally fooled you or made a really deep impact on you? Oh, okay. So I'm going to answer in two parts, shows that I was part of and shows that I witnessed. Um, I, I actually got to play with him later on, but Dr. Lonnie Smith played at uh, a jazz conference in New York. I was in the audience. I just witnessed something where the energy kept building and when you thought it couldn't get any higher, it kept building beyond that. And then when you thought it couldn't even go any further at all, it kept building beyond that. And and so that was a that was a wonderful. Uh, and and on the same concert was uh, Abishai Cohen. I, I remember that. Uh, I, I flashed on that when you asked that question. Uh, that was that was a concert that uh, I loved. But uh, early on, early been such a listener. I, I go to so many live concerts that it's hard to single out any. 
a lot of the people that I first saw as an audience member I ended up playing with, uh, Carl Fontana and James Moody and and uh, Dr. Lonnie Smith and people like that. Well, I'll, I'll tell you the story. <laughs> when I was in eighth grade, my band director uh, sensed I was becoming interested in jazz, and he said, Jay, I've got something for you. And he sent me over to be on the stage crew for the Reno Jazz Festival. And so uh, every 20 minutes, I would move on and off a new big band. Some of the bands were kids my age, and I, I'd look at the band, I'd watch the drummers, I'd look at the audience's response, and after a little while, I knew that I had to be part of this. And then the uh, the celebrity concerts in the evening, people like Gary Burton and Louis Bellson, uh, that just, uh, you know, cemented my desire. You know, I knew right away what I was going to do for my life as a result of that uh, experience, being on the stage crew at the Reno Jazz Festival. At this point, you've been down so many roads in not only jazz, but in your musical life. Are you happy with where you're at? I am. You know, it's unusual for musicians to be able to put away money and pay off a house and still have all of the creative joy they've ever wanted. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm very happy with, uh, with my experiences. Am I satisfied with where I'm at as a musician? No. I still have a desire to learn more play better, write better, have, have new experiences, and, uh, and that may never go away. So as an educator and one that's been close to the pulse of jazz for quite some time, how healthy is jazz in 2018 as an organism? Is it, is it in a good place? How do you feel about it? My thought is, you know, for decades now, jazz may only be what do they say, 2.5% of the market share. And yet 2.5% tends to be a lot of people and a lot of great creativity. And putting money aside, I think the art form is fabulous. Uh, I think it's uh, going some wonderful directions. You know, if you look at Kamasi Washington and Avishai Cohen and Mark uh, Giuliana and and some really creative people, uh, all all the rest of them that you would think of, these fabulous artists that are pushing the envelope. I think jazz is still healthy. I think creativity is still alive. It's just unfortunate that uh, more people aren't uh, embracing it. I'm grateful to be part of the tradition, uh, at least in the sense that I have been rubbing shoulders with, you know, Hank Jones the, you know, from way back, and then some of the younger players like Peter Bernstein and and. Uh, you know, getting to play with some of my heroes like John Patitucci, that's, that's been, that's been great. Will jazz ever be pop music again like it was in the 30s and 40s? Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, it would be great. <laughs> yeah, it would. Let me ask you generically, why do you love jazz? Freedom, creativity, uh, the chance to communicate and be surprised, uh, along with the, the audience members. And since the music is so spontaneous, it's going to happen different every time it happens. I love being surprised by the magical moments that take place when people are listening, feeding off of one another, and you know, uh, bouncing ideas across the bandstand. It's just to me, it's just magic. So let me ask you this: It's all going to come down to this. Everyone has a perception uh, of who, of who you are, who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans. But 
You know yourself best. Who do you think you are? Yes, good questions. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, I think that I am Jay Lawrence, musician, composer, teacher, friend, jazz musician, lover of art of all kinds. I'm optimistic, and I'm a family man, and I love what I do, and I'm grateful for the opportunities that I've been blessed with. Perfect. I think that's a great way to wrap everything up. Jay, thank you for taking some time out to talk about the new album. Good luck with it, and thanks for talking about your career. I appreciate it. It was my pleasure, and I hope that you'll take my ramblings and turn them into English. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Reno, Vegas, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Jay for his time and his music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.